Here we are, we are back, and we are with our first guest, and he is none other than Nick Ferguson, a Pro Bowl alternate at safety for the Denver Broncos, played 10 years in the National Football League, and is one of my guys. I'm gonna tell you that straight up, right out the gate. I had an opportunity to coach this guy, what, two, I, what three times, Nick, was it three times? Yeah, three times. On three separate occasions, and. If you wonder why I kind of like got a, got a twitch or, I mean, a nervous, <laughs> it's, it's because I had to work with this guy. Three Whoa. No, now let's, let's get down because we are always trying to push the envelope on this show. And, yeah. you know, we recognize that you now are a big time radio personality back in Denver at uh, 104.3 and the fan which is a big sports talk show the biggest in denver and your show by the way the the nick and cecil show is hot it is hot you just got uh, signed a new contract and you're on from seven till ten mountain time in denver correct that is correct because i know that after this interview that you will have thousands of people that are gonna <laughs> that are gonna tune into your show because th this is a guy with a very, uh, let me say, unique uh, point of view uh, about things. And one of the things I, I loved about Nick as a player and I love about him as a journalist is he is unfiltered. Because if, it, if he thinks it up here, it's coming right out of his mouth. So let's talk about your Broncos, all right? I cannot wait for you to give me the quarterback comparison right now as you saw it this week in minicamp in Denver. Well, well, thanks for, uh, for having me. And the quarterback competition, as it's being called, I will say, Jeff, early on, it's not that much of a quarterback competition. I know everyone wants Drew Lott to be the guy. And when we talk about quarterbacks, we always talk about that strong arm and having that velocity. But in my time as a player and as a coach, that only gets you so far. And what that means is that that quarterback is going to take more risks than you want him to actually take. Case in point, 707 yesterday, Drew Locke took the first team reps. And you know this as a guy that coached. On 707, there's no pressure coming towards you. So the, your decision-making and timing should be spot on. Would you believe that Drew Locke still hasn't gotten over the fact of being able to throw the freaking ball. It was so crazy because I'm sitting up on the hill with so many guys and girls who are in the media and everyone is saying the same thing. Throw the freaking ball. I almost got kicked out of practice yesterday <laughs> for yelling, wait, wait, throw wait, wait. the ball. Uh, now, now, that would not be the first time you were kicked out of practice uh, at all because um, I, 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 we can we can maybe come back to the to the uh, time you were at the Jets and Herman Edwards called me and said, "Would you talk to your boy because you?" Please, got wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not about me. It's about the quarterback position. So let, hey, let's let's stick right there. Right, let's not get right, off well, track. Let's stay to the story. So tell me, you you played in the league for ten years. You played in the Canadian League for three before that, and you played in NFL Europe for two. You played a lot of football, seen a lot of quarterbacks, been on some good teams, been on some bad teams. Right now in Denver, if you were making a, if you were making a choice, is it even close? 
No, it's it's not. But, but by my eyes, no. By the eyes of other individuals who are in television and radio, oh yes, it is close. And in some cases, uh, Drew Locke is that much better than Teddy Bridgewater. And I tell those people, they have no idea what they're looking at. Because here's the all-important thing. Can you throw with anticipation? Can you make proper decisions, right? And can you continue to move the chains? See, what's happened here in Denver is that those other media types have looked at it like, well, Teddy is not taking chances down the field. He's not taking those big shots between the hashes and the numbers. And I'm sitting at practice like, what are you watching? He took shots down the field. It's not his fault if the receivers could not haul in the pass. And also, by the way, you're taught as a quarterback is you have progression of reads. If the reads are not there, you always go to your outlet that which might be an H burst or a flat route. Those are smart decisions, but there are so, so, certain individuals in the media who are looking at Teddy and saying, well, he is not an adequate quarterback because he's selling for the checkdowns. I'm like, well, checkdowns equal first downs and first downs equal touchdowns. So what are you talking about? So, so some of these individuals, Jeff, they make me want to pull my hair out because it's like, you don't know what you are watching. You, you, you try to tell people you do, but you really don't. And I know here in Denver, everyone has got enamored with the story about Aaron Rodgers coming to Denver. Well, until it happens, this is a battle between Teddy and Drew. And right now, Teddy's winning that battle. Okay, now, you bring up a couple really good points right there. Because one of the challenges in coaching is when you place all of your emphasis on seven-on-seven seven situational football, where there's no pass rush, it sounds to me like they don't have a horn out there or a timer out there to let the quarterback know when he's got to get the ball out of his hands. Because if you're if you're holding the ball in Skelly, that's a dangerous proposition when you get to game day because all of a sudden now the rush is there and the whole picture changes. When you watch the two of them, Nick, who has the best grasp in your mind of the huddle, the guy who the other players gravitate toward? Because as I watched Locke, I never felt – I've never seen him once in a game where I felt like he really was the – you know how the quarterback has to have that it factor, that leadership thing? Yeah. He never appears to me like he's got the huddle. No, he, he doesn't. And that was the issue last year in camp. There was a story that came out of camp last year where Jerry Judy actually said something to Drew Locke out of frustration because he felt that Drew didn't take command of the huddle. And we're talking about a guy and Jerry Judy who played football, college football at a high level at Alabama. So he was used to someone in that huddle taking control. And Drew Locke wasn't that guy. So fast forward to now, yesterday, Teddy is still that guy. And he just got here because guys like uh, guys like you know Jerry Judy, they will go to Drew, not, not Drew Locke, to, to um, Teddy Bridgewater to talk to him about, okay, well, here's where I would like the ball thrown. What's good for you? Now, he, here's where the Teddy Bridgewater effect has come into play. Because Drew Locke did not have other quarterbacks that he can actually learn from and really push him, even though they were on the roster, watching Teddy work, watching those other guys gravitate towards Teddy, 
watching the defensive guys gravitate towards Teddy. It has forced Drew Locke to now take a step further in the leadership ability, something he should have done two years ago, but only because he feels as though his job is in jeopardy. Now he's trying to emulate those things, even so that multiple people in the media have referred to Drew Locke as being robotic. He's not being natural as a quarterback because he's trying to force things and he's trying to live inside this box he thinks the coaches want him to live inside of, but that's not who he is. You know this as a coach, especially at that position. I need a guy who can just let it fly, show his confidence, and his teammates know that his confidence isn't real because Melvin Gordon said to him, hey, you got to fake it until you make it. So what we've been seeing so far is not a guy who's making it, but a guy who's faking it. Well, I, you know, and that's a tremendous point that you make because the players are going to gravitate to the one that they think gives them the best chance for success. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, and you've been in, in a ton of locker rooms just like I have, and you know the deal, you can start – chipping away all the other factors, where you went to college, you know, what color you are, what, you know, what your politics are. All, none of that matters if you're a guy that can help a guy win football games. You can help your team win football games. So it's, it's almost shocking to me, really, Nick, that this early on, that with this few practices together, with this little time in that locker room, that you're already seeing a leadership void start to, starting to develop between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater? Well, the reason why that is the case, because these guys spent, you know, two seasons with, with Drew Locke, and they know what he is already. So to see Teddy come into the building, now they're going, oh, we, we know what Drew Locke is, but this is what we are looking for, right? A guy who, who's going to come in, he's calm. If he makes a mistake, He's not going to get kind of scatterbrained because of it and then continue to make mistakes. He's not going to say, okay, well, my job is driving the ball down the field 34 yards to try to impress the coaches. No, the way that I impress the coaches is by being consistent, staying ahead of the chains. But this is where some of the individuals in our media have somehow kind of misconstrued the message or whatever, thinking that, you have to constantly throw the ball down the field. And I, and I try to tell them, I say, look, in any given game, four quarters of football, that quarterback is going to take four shots down the field. It's not going to be multiple shots because the first shot is going to tell the defense, wait a minute, we need to make sure that we on our P's and Q's and back up. So you have a couple of other shots that you, you can, by play design, take those shots down the field. So you don't have to have 40-yard explosive play. There is a 20-yard pass that you can make that can turn into explosive, a 15 that can turn into explosive plays. And this is where Drew Locke has lost the message and a lot of individuals here. This is where Teddy understands, I don't have that type of on velocity. So I have to be smart with where I put the ball to be effective. See, I think that that's a great point because the reality of it is if you, if you dissect a game, Balls that are actually caught 35 or more yards down the field, you might get three balls like that in a game between both teams. But big plays come so many times in yards after catch 
when the ball is thrown that 18 inches out in front of a receiver who's on the run and can catch it and stick his foot in the ground and get north and south and create yardage after the catch and that speaks to accuracy and that's one of the concerns when I see Drew Locke I see a big arm but Nick you played in the league 10 years there have been a lot of big arms that weren't very successful in the league because the the accuracy the decision making the timing of the throw just wasn't there that's where I think Teddy has a huge advantage over Drew Locke but see now you and I are talking logical football where some of the other individuals here in Denver, they're not thinking from a logical standpoint. They're thinking, okay, well, we need to make big splash plays because this offense has been really inconsistent over the past couple of years. And I'm like, well, what you need is stability. You need consistency because it gives, you know, confidence in the play caller that I can call anything in my playbook and we can run it to perfection. When Pat Shermer was operating with Drew Locke, he could not do that. I mean, he had to scale it back 50%. And then he had to scale it back 35%. Could you imagine being an offensive coordinator and scaling your offense back 35%? You can't even run everything that you want to run. If you're getting in a third and 15 situation, you're like, I I got a great play. Uh, I can't run it because my quarterback cannot execute. And here's another problem. Drew Locke threw an interception today in practice and it was picked off by Justin Simmons. Now the Drew Locke apologist will tell you, well, that was against Justin Simmons. You expect for that to happen. No, I don't. What I expect for you to do to move the safety with your eyes, not stare down the wide receiver and then deliver a pass. This is why Drew Locke, go back to the Raiders game last year, he threw four interceptions, Jeff, four in one game but they still love him. Hey, let's give him a chance. Let's give him a shot. You only have such a small window as a coach. And you look at Vic Fangio, and it's two years here, the team has not played well. He could be on the chopping block if it happens again. This is why Teddy is a better fit than Drew Locke. Okay, now let's talk about some of that because I want to unpack some of that because this is a team that's still maybe not – as good certainly as four or five years ago defensively, but this is still a very good defensive football team, a a team that's good enough defensively to be a playoff team. Now, the thing that I, that I'm I'm not, that I I can't understand here is if you got to lean on your defense, right. And you've got Melvin Gordon and you've got an improved offensive line and you got some players at tight end. I don't know if you need to push the ball down the field. You're going to have to take your shots. Yes. But you've got to play better complementary football in Denver. That's what that's one of the things that I see as disjointed in, in Bronco land right now is what are you offensively? What identity do you bring to, to the football team? Well, there is no identity right now. And I can tell you by them moving up to pick up Javante Williams out of North Carolina, their identity is running the ball. They're trying to get back to what we saw with Pat Sherman and the Minnesota Vikings in 2017. You had Latavius Murray and you had uh, Booker as well. So now, uh, Dalvin Cook, excuse me. Now you can take those two running backs and say, well, we can pound it with Latavius Murray and then we can run the spring game and quick game with, you know, Dalvin Cook. So they're saying, okay, well, we have a power guy in Javante Williams. Also, he can step up and take on the blitzing. 
And then now we can dump it to him on the screen passes. And oh, by the way, we have Mike Boone, who's quite familiar with Pat Shermer and George Payton. So here's a guy who plays special teams, smaller back, still quick, still has that power. And then you have Melvin Gordon. So with, just like you said, a reestablished or revamped offensive line, they want to start by setting the tone. When, when, if you're offensive lineman, you should want to run the ball first because when you are pass protecting, now you're playing to the defense. Now you're allowing them to come to you. When you run the ball, now you go to them. Now you can get your hands on them, latch and steer, and then drive guys off the, off the ball. That opens up play action. And like you said, when you have a run game like that, you play to your defense, you don't need to drive the ball down the field as much. What did we see with a 43-year-old quarterback that just won the Super Bowl? You play great defense. You lean on your run game. Oh, and, and occasionally, I'm going to throw the ball down the field. So everyone needs to change their frame of mind when they look at what today's NFL is opposed to what it used to be. When you watch them, when you watch them in practice and, and haven't had the experience of being a player at the highest level in the National Football League, you know, you watch, I watch coaches as much as I watch players because I want to see the interaction. When you watch Mike Shula interact with these two quarterbacks and you watch Pat interact with the offense, do you feel like there's a comfort zone there that they, that they really, is there one of these two quarterbacks that they feel more comfortable with or gravitate to, or, you know, is starting to show himself out in front of the coaches more? Yeah, I would, I would lean towards Teddy. Here's why. Uh, yesterday in the red zone, Teddy took, uh, well, they took about equal snaps, but most of Teddy's snaps were handoffs, right? Drew Locke had an opportunity to throw inside the red zone, which prompted certain people on the airways to go, well, the coaches have more confidence and faith in Drew Locke because they gave him more passing plays. But I said, no, you're reading the wrong way. They knew that, hey, Drew Locke needed more reps inside the red zone so that's why they gave it to him. Teddy, there is not a big concern with Teddy because he's already showing that he can make checks at the line of scrimmage. Watching Drew Locke, all the practice, he didn't make one check. Whatever the call was, he stayed with it. Whatever receiver was going with, he stayed with it. He never came off his reads. So when we talk about Drew Locke, and this was a big uh, conversation coming into uh, minicamp, well, he was working with Peyton Manning. He was watching film. He was coming in early. I can tell you right now, all of that work that he put in before coming into OTAs and minicamp, I'm not seeing it blossom the way that it should. Maybe eventually it is, but it's coming along too slow, especially for a guy going into his third year and in his second year in the same offense. Well, let's talk about that because that dovetails into another topic, right? Vic Fangio, it, let's let's be honest, that seat's warming up real fast. Oh yes, and you're now you're now into the third year of your program, and it's time for you to take a step. Right now, you're in a you're in a division, a very very good division with Kansas City. They're not going to unless unless some cataclysmic event happens in Kansas City, they're not going to surpass the Chiefs but they've got to be fighting for a wild card playoff spot and I think they're close to talented enough to do that Nick but they have to have a big year this is a huge year in Denver and all of the stuff that's surrounding 
Deshaun Watson and surrounding Aaron Rodgers, is it a is it a is it a distraction in your mind in that locker room and on that football team? Well, it's only a distraction maybe in a quarterback room with maybe one person, and that's Drew Locke, because it's bad enough that he has to compete with Teddy, but he's also competing with a guy who's not even part of the organization right away. So you have to wonder, well, what's going through Drew Locke's head? Every time he makes a mistake, he knows that, well, man, I just got knocked down a peg against Teddy. Oh, oh, and by the way, I just got knocked down two pegs against Aaron Rodgers, who's not even here. So for the guys in the locker room, they love the conversation about the possibility of Aaron Rodgers or even Deshaun Watson coming to the team because that means that you get better quarterback play. And if you're a guy like Jerry Judy, you love that because so far in camp, Judy's had an amazing camp. Last year, all I heard was, oh, he's got a case of the drops. He's dropped so many balls. He is a bust. Why did the Broncos draft him? But since Teddy has been here, he's looked spectacular. He hasn't put a ball on the ground, and he's playing inspired football. That only happens when you have a guy at the quarterback position that you have faith and confidence in. That is well, all important. I think, I think it even transcends, goes even beyond that, because if you compare the, the, the ball that Tua throws, he's much, his, his ball is much more similar to the ball that Teddy throws than the ball Drew Locke throws. Drew Locke is one of those quarterbacks, in my opinion, Nick, that throws what I call a heavy ball. He's got that big arm, and the ball's, ball is difficult to catch at times. Teddy, on the other hand, has much more touch, much more finesse on his throws. He, he, he's much more like Tua was for Judy at Alabama. I think that's a, that's a great point you picked up on the field today. Um, defensively, this is going to be a good football team. And mm -hmm. obviously, I know, I know for you personally, having played the position and coached the position in the National Football League, you might have been out there watching the watching the quarterbacks go through individual, but I know one of those eyes was down on that other field watching the DBs work. I'm hearing great stuff about Sertan. What's your impression early of Patrick Sertan? Man, the guy's awesome. Uh, I talked to uh, James Palmer from NFL Network, and uh, even he was raving about you know Patrick Sertan. I mean, this is a big body guy who's long and he has good footwork. And as a guy who's coached the DB position and played the DB position, you know how valuable that is because Champ Bailey once told me, I said, well, you know, why do you always work on that footwork? And he was just like, well, if I win at the line of scrimmage, it eliminates all the running I have to do down the field. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because a lot of guys, when you watch them, they either stab with their own hand, step with their own hand, mm -hmm. they get out of place, and then once wide receivers in this league gets even with you, it's a wrap. It's over. So he's done a great job adjusting. Now, he is still a rookie. He is still learning the NFL game. And they, they, they're moving him around in different spots and different positions just to see, you know, how much information that you can give him because that's all important. You may be really talented, but if you can show that you can take a lot of information, process it, and execute, now you're a major asset. So I expect great things from uh, this secondary and and before you and I jumped on I had a conversation with Steve Atwater and we were watching practice yesterday he was standing right next to me and of course you get two DBs we're going to talk about the secondary 
but there are a lot of expectations we have for this group. So it's like, well, how many interceptions can this group actually force? And for me, when I think about turnovers, I don't just think about the guys in the secondary because guys who I include as far as being part of secondary are those two edge rushers, Von Miller, Bradley Chubb. Pressure and coverage are married together. If we can hold up in the back end, they can get home. So I'm expecting for a lot of balls to come out quick. And you know this. If the ball is coming out quick, I don't even have to pedal. I'm just going to sit at nine, read the quarterback, and jump every route. So with that being said, I, I'm expecting at least 10-plus interceptions from this group. If they, if they don't do that, I would be sorely disappointed. Well, those are high expectations. But now let's go through those guys. You got Kyle Fuller. Yeah. Right? Good football player. Right? Yes, he is. You, you draft Sertain. You go out and you get Ronald Darby. Now, to beat the Chiefs, if you're going to beat the Chiefs, you got to be able to cover. And you better have three corners because they're going to roll three receivers at you. No, 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 no. Let, let, let's, let's stop that. No, no, no. See, see, that was the old adage where you needed three corners. No, you need four. Well, I'm not. Wait a second. Now, let me, let me finish. Because the nice thing about Simmons to me, they've got some safeties who can who can cover too because i don't know who you're when we start talking about matching kansas city you got to have somebody that's got some length and some strength when you start matching up with kelsey he you know what i'm saying now you've got your three wide receivers on your three corners on those three wide receivers and if you've got a safety who's got ball skills and and length you got a chance with kansas city i think that's 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 one of the things they're thinking about in denver right now well, here's, here's the glory of drafting Sertan. Much to the dismay of so many Broncos fans who wanted them to draft Justin Fields. What you just described is why I said that they drafted Sertan. Because you have Darby, you have Bryce Callahan, and you have Kyle Fuller to cover the corners and the slot receiver. You take Sertan, big body, athletic, strong guy, good feet, and you match him up with Travis Kelsey. Now, that leaves both Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson to just roam. And now if we want to play robber, we can rob anything out of a two shell, right? And anything well, that comes across the middle, we're smacking. Well, fit now again, talking about fit, right? Fit. Yes. What does that do for you? That with you with, with Chubb and with Vaughn Miller, you can get pressure with four. And that allows you to play plus one all around in the secondary. And just like you said, whether it's Two high shell, man under, robber, double one guy, double two guys. A lot of flexibility with the way the Broncos are built on defense. My concern is, overall, when you look at a football team, there's three phases of the game. I think they're up and down in special teams, right? Mm -hmm. And I think they've got a good player. I think they've got a good returner. I think we've seen that. I know the kid was a great player in the CFL, and he's come down and he's – yeah you've seen it firsthand i've seen it firsthand and (laughs) and you know you look at this football team nick this is the football team that is very very close i think i you know you're going to get you're going to get your best receiver back again off injury and in Cortland sutton you've got noah fan you got you got players you look at the roster they've got players the whole thing to me is going to come down to what is going to happen at the quarterback position? Well, this is why the defense, and you mentioned special teams, is so important. 
And everyone was wondering why were the Broncos collecting all of these DBs? One, that's the wave of the new NFL, right? Because the tight end position is only tight end by title alone. Let's just call them what they are, big wide receivers. So you need to match up there. So a lot of these DBs and skilled players will be counted on to play on special teams. And if you can flip the field on special teams and you have a quarterback that can continue to move the chains and he doesn't keep both teams in the game by turning the ball over, you have an opportunity. And that's all the Broncos are looking for right now. This is why Teddy fits. Because you go back to 2017 Minnesota, Case Keenum wasn't a Drew Brees or Peyton Manning. But what he did was he was effective. He made everyone around him better. And this game, regardless of how much emphasis is put on a quarterback position, the last time I checked, this was still a team game. And this is not golf. No, it's and the teams that play well play complementary football. They play to each other's strengths. The strengths of the of the Broncos, where, where are the strengths of the Broncos right now? On defense, their ability to run the football, right? And then you've got some speed outside. You've got some, you've got some guys outside. This is a good football team. I think that's – Bronco fans should be excited about it. Now, tell all of the listeners, Nick, how they can listen to you on the fan. 104.3 in Denver, the fan. Yeah, that's right. Just go to DenverFan.com and just kind of log in. You can find the Nick and Sisu uh, show podcast. You can listen live every day. I'll be on tonight talking uh, a lot of football. So you can also find me on social media at Nick Ferguson underscore 25 IG and Twitter. And remember, on a Nick and Sisu show, we are the show where the stars come out at night. <laughs> so make sure you check us out. All right, man. I tell you what, thank you so much for joining us. It's always good to talk football with you. And, you know, again, I love it when a guy's got an opinion. And that has been you since the first day I met you. And it's never going to change. <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks so much, Nick Ferguson from 104.3 The Fan and the head of the NFL Players Association Denver chapter, by the way. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And we're, again, right. we'll, ha we'll have you back there in the course of the year. It's been a blast. All right, man. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Welcome to one of the greatest San Francisco 49ers to ever don that iconic gold helmet. Jesse Sapolo, four-time Super Bowl winner and one of the has been chosen as one of the greatest 49ers to ever play. Jesse, it is awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on, Coach. Uh, you know, we go back a long ways and uh, always appreciate you having me on. Well, it's always fun to talk football with you because I get a really unique perspective. And today we, we really want to spend a lot of time kind of deconstructing the 49ers as you see them. I know you have been, uh, you know, stayed on the West Coast in California, and but you've been very active in the alumni chapter, very active with the team. You know the organization extremely well. So I thought it would be great. We have a ton of San Francisco 49er fans. And I thought it'd be great to get your insights and your view on this team, because this is a team that when we came away from 
that near miss in the Super Bowl against Kansas City a couple years ago, I think there was a belief that for the 49ers, it was all right out in front of them. All they had to do was get to next year and it was going to be their season. And then it, they, get, they ran into the injury bug and it just chewed them to pieces. How tough was that for you to watch, Jesse, knowing how hard it is to get to the Super Bowl? Well, I, I knew after that close miss in the Super Bowl that uh, the mentality is to, you know, you got to start over. It's a new year. Uh, and that's coming from me that, that actually went through that process of not only defending the Super Bowl, but defending it, winning it twice in a row. And uh, I knew you had to uh, remove yourself from what happened to you before and come in with the mentality that you're starting from the ground up, even if you know have the talent um, to go back to the Super Bowl. Uh, it, it was really tough um, now because everybody has an opinion on social media and, and all the 49er fans were saying, this is a revenge tour. <laughs> you know? I, I knew in my heart, there ain't no such thing as a revenge tour. You better focus on what's going on now. And I knew it was going to be tough, but I've never, Jeff, uh, in all the years that I've played, we've had some injuries. You know, on a bad year, we would have three to four key guys uh, at our mainstays on, 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 on the field that would be lost for the year. I've never seen uh, anything like what the 49ers went through last year. Everybody has injuries and nobody's going to be sorry for it. But never seen anything quite like it. And, uh, and of course, when, when uh, your quarterback is one of those injuries, uh, it doesn't help your situation. Well, before before we go on, I, and see here we go. Now, now I just I'm now I'm talking ball with my buddy, right? How was Bill Walsh able to refocus you? I mean, because at that time in in those days it was you and Dallas, right? And there were some other teams, but it was really you and Dallas. And you you won it, and then that process of putting that behind you. How how do, how was he? Be, able to do that so masterfully because so few teams do what you did go back to back well it, it was actually even before Dallas you know Dallas was great in the 70s it was the Dallas was probably the second best team to the Steelers and then in the 80s it was the 49ers uh the Joe Gibbs Redskins when they had the Hogs uh the Lawrence Taylor uh, New York nice. Giants you know with ourselves and Belichick uh, those were the teams that kind of challenged us, but because we won four Super Bowls in the in the eighties, we were the team of the decade. But in those four Super Bowls, we made the playoffs nine out of ten years in that decade, and then we continued that on when Bill uh, left uh, after the eighty nine season, and uh, we went with George Seifert, and then Dallas drafted uh, Troy Aikman, uh, Michael Irvin, and and of course Emmett Smith. They came back and challenged us, and th 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 those were the, the, the teams that that we played against uh, in the early '90s. And uh, they went and won back to back. And the only reason they didn't win three in a row is because we were in the way. But uh, it's it's a it's it's a mindset that's ingrained in you because you believe that's the culture you live in, and uh, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, when you come home. And everybody's lifting you up, you know, congratulating you, inviting you to the barbecues, you know. It's almost like you don't have enough days in office to please everybody because, you know, especially if you go back to back, yeah, 
And the year we went back to back, the second of those Super Bowls was a 55 to 10 a drudging of the Denver Broncos and John Elway, one of the best quarterbacks who ever played the game. And, and then we, you know, we played the next year. We went all the way, you know, we were a fumble away from, from going for a TV. But in those years, it was really tough because every year we, we won the Super Bowl, we had five preseason games. If you remember correctly, they used to send us overseas. Yeah. Called NFL Europe. So, you know, the, the NFL wasn't going to send teams that were not known. They were going to send the teams that were in the playoffs, the teams that won the Super Bowl. And it was tough. It was tough for me physically. You know, honestly, to be honest with you, by the time we played the Giants in that third straight NFC Championship game, I was almost running on fumes. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, that's a lot of games in three years. And, uh, but again, you know, no excuses because the mindset was that's where we're supposed to be and we're there to make history. Uh, unfortunately, we, we fell in short of winning three in a row, but uh, that's the mindset. So when, when we went to the Super Bowl, <laughs> you know, all this noise going on saying, you know, it's a revenge tour, we should have beat Kansas City. No, that, that year is gone. You better concentrate on what's going on now. And 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 re reprogram your mind that it's it's starting from the ground up. Okay, so now let's go to now. Let's go to the 49ers today. When you look at this roster and you see that Jimmy G, the first the first thing we gotta talk about, because it's the first thing everybody's gonna talk about, is have they put themselves on the path for a quarterback controversy in San Francisco by taking that kid by moving up to take that young quarterback? I don't think so. I, I I just think that we're looking at the future, you know? And every time you look at the future, especially at that position, people will turn it around and say it's a controversy. Well, you know, I mean, we got Steve Young sitting on the bench for four years. You know, if, if that happened today at the age of social media coach, <laughs> you know, if you think this is bad, you know, we had a Hall of Favor sit on the bench for over three years. I mean, think about that. We had okay, a see, Hall of Famer sitting on the bench for almost four seasons. Well, and because we didn't have social media, we, we, didn't, we, didn't, we, we dealt with it, but it was manageable. But, but you know what? It wouldn't happen today. You're right. You're exactly right. There's no way that would happen today because the, the agents wouldn't let it happen. The pressure from the media would be too intense. Social media, like you say. But... Trey Lance, when you when you see when you see the guy, Jess, here's a guy that's played 17 college football games. 17 college football games. And this is not to be, I'm not knocking North Dakota State, but that's not USC, that's not Notre Dame, that's not Florida, that's not that's North Dakota State. Oh, obviously extremely talented kid, but how rough is it going to be for a guy from that background with that little football play to step into an NFL huddle and all of a sudden, oh, my God, that's George Kittle. And, oh, shit, Alex Mack snapping me. That's Mike McGlinchey. He played at North. Do you know what I'm saying? How hard is that going to be for that young kid? Well, I, I, like, again, you know, it's all in his mindset. You know, I walked in, I walked in that lot. I was at Barrington High School. <laughs> <laughs> When I first uh, saw how good Joe Montana was going to be, then the next thing you know, you know, I'm about five yards away from his law. 
And then the next thing you know, it's a kid from Cali that's snapping to arguably at that, you know, the best quarterback to ever play the game. It's all on how you can put it in the right perspective. Um, I, I uh, you know, Trey is going to have to uh, know that George Kittle has a stand, uh, starting and his starting point was fifth round, right? Yeah. So here he is, the third pick of the draft. Uh, you go in there. Uh, you know, you, like you mentioned, USC, right? Uh, how many quarterbacks from USC have worked out in the game? You know, that has come through. I, I mean, we're, we're talking about perspective. Yep. And yep. the things that people will throw at this kid. Uh, but then he can look at uh, Carson Wentz, even though right now uh, his momentum is going you know, the arrow's going down a little bit, but there was, he won the MVP at one, one year. So where's he from? <laughs> so it all depends on how you look at it. And I think it's important that you build your mind a certain way uh, because there's a lot in my 15 years, folks, there's a lot of linemen that try to come and take my job. Guys that were six, four, six, five from big schools, you know, if I would have looked at myself and said, well, you know, I'm, I play at Hawaii, I'm not supposed to be here, then maybe my career would have taken that, that path. That's but a, that's, that's it's, a great point. It's all up to how Trey, you know, perceives the situation. If, and don't be afraid to ride the pine for one year. I mean, the best young quarterback in, probably in history is a kid from Kansas City. Did he, did he sit on a bench? Yes, he did. The guy that they think is the most gift, uh, you know, physically gifted quarterback is the guy from Green Bay. Did he sit on a bench behind Brett Favre? He did for a couple of seasons. So you can't be afraid and get into, well, this guy came straight and started in league. Because if you look at guys that started their first year, there's not a lot of guys out there that won Super Bowls. You know? That's really you know, true. Because it's, if you're throwing them in the, in the lion's den, you're hoping that it works out. And sometimes get beat up in that process and never come back. So uh, we have faith in Kyle and how he's going to play this thing out, but it's it's a lot on how uh, Trey can walk in there and say, hey, I'm here because I'm the future of this team. I belong here and I'm going to do everything in my power to get it done. Okay, so now this is this is fascinating stuff to me because that was Steve Young when Joe Montana was the quarterback because they, they went out and spent that money to get Steve Young because they knew that was the secession plan. How did those two guys deal with that between themselves? Because obviously Joe was the guy. He was, the, I mean, he was the guy and Steve wanted to be the guy. That's a, that's a dicey, dicey, dicey proposition. How did Bill handle it with you guys, and how did you handle it internally in the locker room? I, I think it was more dicey from the outside looking in than it was for us that were in it. Uh, we knew the guy that we knew the guy that gave our organization, you know, multiple Super Bowls at the time before Joe won his third and fourth. The organization she was already with us, uh, you know. But at that time, we knew Steve had potential. But we didn't know he was going to turn out the way he did. Uh, you know, you know what potential means. It means yeah. he doesn't absolutely nothing. It means so, coaches get fired. That's what it means. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So you know, it, the, the the thing that you got to give Steve credit for is that he wasn't 
content on just sitting on the vine and, 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 and riding bench. Steve wanted to play. And that made it seem like uh, a, a controversy. But in all minds, Joe was the guy. But we knew we had a, a, a real, real good quarterback that can come in just in case something happened to Joe. But if you look at how things turned out, I felt like we, we kind of let Joe go a little early, you know, maybe a year or two early. Because if he didn't have that concussion in Buffalo when he was with the Kansas City team, Kansas yeah. City would have been in the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's exactly and if you right. remember how the people talk about John Elway, uh, he's Mr. Comeback, uh, Captain Comeback. Uh, Joe Montana, at his age, took Kansas City to Denver on a Monday night. Elway scored with a minute and five seconds left. And Joe brought back Kansas City and beat him with a touchdown pass in the corner of the end zone. Uh, what does that tell me? That tells me that we would have done fine if Joe was still with, with the 49ers, the talent that we had around him. But we were ready to move on. If, if you remember my last Super Bowl, our fifth Super Bowl in 94, we only lost two games. And one was the second game, it guess where, in Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Versus, versus Joe Montana. And then, and then we hit our stride and went on to win. Uh, dominate the Chargers in the Super Bowl, but but that that was a good problem for us to have. Now, now was it was it comfortable? No, but as you know, Coach, nothing you accomplish is ever comfortable. <laughs> that's that's you, really you get to where you want. You know, everybody wants can be a nice, happy locker room, be super nice to each other, but you might not win anything. So, and that's the atmosphere that kind of Bill Walsh kind of built. You know, I remember uh, my, my draft class. <laughs> it was a third, fourth preseason game. And Bill brought all of us up to his, to his office. And he looked at every single one of us and said, I need more from you guys. You know, and then after the fourth preseason game, you know, I was an 11th round draft choice. They cut our third round draft choice from UCLA. A guy named Blanchard Montgomery. And right away, I realized what he meant. But I need more. <laughs> but that's, that's what Bill was all about. Tell me now, you know, again, one of the things that I think gets lost in all that history, right? Because you had so many Hall of Famers and so many great players on both sides of the football. But one of the things that the and, and, and I think you guys got mislabeled, Jesse. I really do. I think you got you got labeled a finesse team. You were a physical foot. You could run the football. And your offensive line was extremely well coached and extremely tough and extremely good fundamentally. I, I, I don't even want to know how many hours you guys spent on the Crowther sled, but I know it had to be you know, more than anybody should. But when you look at this 49er team, when this offensive line is healthy, I think they have maybe as good a line as there is. Everybody talks about Indianapolis, but I really, really think the 49ers offensive line is outstanding. I think we have a, a, a real good offensive line. I think we have talent. There's no question about that. You know, Williams out there now with Matt coming in. Uh, uh, we have our, our uh, left guard. Uh, that's been the mainstay there. But there's two two positions uh, that, you know, we, 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 we have to wait and see how 
how they step up. But so, but you know, coach, obviously, uh, you can be talented as individuals. Best lines are the guys who play together. Uh, but I think that the jury's still out on McClinchy. You know, we're talking about him. Um, you know, he 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 needs to step up. Where he was drafted is where people's expectations. Right. Why uh, people's expectations are so high that they think he he can play a little bit better. And and uh, and. Um, but that's life in the I think we have a we but I think the guy that um, that's there now now we had some injuries. We had some injuries in camp. You know, we lost two stars. You know, this year, and that's why uh, Kyle canceled the rest of minicamp. So. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I believe check the field and practice if it's been blessed. I don't know. It is crazy because it's like uncanny how many injuries that they've had up there. And you know, uh, when when you compare the two teams, the team that you played on and the, and this team, uh, both of them were kind of. I see some similarities. You, you want balance in the offense. Now, you were known as the West Coast passing team and all that stuff, but you guys really were a balanced offense, right? You could attack outside. You could attack with the tight end. You could run the football. You, you know, you could do all those things. When this team's healthy, I think this team has the potential to be a, that kind of offense because you've got a showpiece tight end. You've got Ayuk and that speed outside. You've got a stable of good backs, I think. Again, I just really think if they can stay healthy, that offensively they've got a chance to be real, real good. Defensively, how are they going to deal with the loss of Robert Sala, who was so big a part of that defense, Jesse? Well, we're going to have to deal with it. Um, I, I think our new coordinator has been there for years and and, and has been working with, with uh, Sala. But, you know, it just goes to show you uh, two years before we went to the Super Bowl, or maybe a year and a half before we went to the Super Bowl, fans were asking for Coach Salah's head <laughs> and to get fired. But it just shows you how things can turn around uh, uh, quickly. And I think Coach Salah did a nice job motivating those guys. It helped that we had five first-round draft choices up front. You know, and, and of course, we lost one of the, the – we, we lost the leadership – of uh, Wine product, DeForest Buckner. Exactly. He went on to have a great year with his Colts. You know, it's, it's just tough that, you know, uh, you can't keep everybody. Uh, but how the, how the NFL is built right now is you got to make sure you develop these guys quickly in their first contract, the first four years, and see if you can win the Super Bowl in those, in those years because. There's no guarantees if one of those guys within that four years become a star that other teams won't offer more money that has more room under the cap. So, you know, um, I think, you know, like you said, IU had a great year last year. Ebo Samuels, who had a great year when we went to the Super Bowl, if he doesn't have a nagging injury, one of the strongest, kind of reminds me of John Taylor, maybe not quite as fast, but how he can run over DBs for receivers. So, Definitely have talent. I think the beauty of this offense too is is Kyle Shanahan. A lot of people went away from the fullback, but Kyle Shanahan, you know, brought the fullback 
back to to our offense and very innovative for them. Yeah, and because I that's a guy use check to me is now you can call him a throwback or you you know I know you, you don't see that position very much anymore. But man, oh man, can does he add a dimension to that offense? Because he's he's a threat to catch the football. He's a devastating blocker, and he and he's. You know, he, he, if you hand it to him, he's going to make some plays with it. I, I just really think he might be as big a key to that offense almost as Kittle is because there's so much flexibility, so many cute things that they do with their blocking schemes because of Kyle Juszczyk's ability. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, he's Mr. Do-Everything, you know, and, and he came from an Ivy League school, but he had ability that Kyle saw, and now he's a as a fullback, but you're absolutely right. Kind of reminds me, we had a guy named Tom Rathman yep. uh, that, that came from Nebraska that was, you know, sweep the floor, wash the windows, you know, whatever we needed to get done. Uh, second year of our back-to-back Super Bowls, Rathman had over 100 catches. And think about that. Uh, but I think the similarities is, is there. Um, this offensive line, if they can hit their stride, uh, will be a, a, a big help. Uh, Jimmy staying healthy is a big help. Uh, but, you know, anything that Trey Lance uh, can show in camp will be a bonus if Jimmy stays healthy. You know, uh, but I think we have the potential um, to be a great offense, similar to what we did uh, well, the year before. Now, if you remember our run in the, in the playoffs, we had running backs by committee, you yep. know, and we just pounded, you know, we pounded Minnesota. We threw them all like nine times, you know, and uh, over 250 yards. And, uh, and that's winning any game. Yeah, that's, that'll make your defense better, too, because your defense will be standing on the sideline. They play great they defense when you're on the sideline. Yep. They get, they, get, they get three cups of water on the bench on the defensive side instead of one. If you, uh, and, and the offensive line gets better. Pass protection becomes better when you run the ball better. You know, because like any human in the huddle is like, we're going we're gonna to destroy these guys. They can't stop us. We can do whatever we want to do. And usually that happens, Jeff. I know we were the West Coast, uh, the creators of the West Coast, but how we get our offense on our running after the catch guys we had, uh, we weren't that good. The guy named Jeremy Rice and John Taylor. So uh, once, once we run, we hit an awesome. awesome. Jesse, when you look at these, and I, and I think it's really Jimmy because we haven't seen enough of Trey Lance yet, but when you look at him, what does he need to do in your mind to take that next step as a quarterback, to be that guy that can not just get you to the Super Bowl, but he can make that throw that he didn't make late in the game to Emmanuel Sanders to win the thing. Because I'm betting if that was Joe Montana throwing that ball, we'd have another 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 uh, trophy in that trophy case in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I, I think we have to be um, realistic. Uh, the fact is, I think Jimmy's good enough to take us to the Super Bowl. Uh, 
you know, he missed that pass against uh, against uh, with Sanders uh, being open late in the game. Um, but the protection wasn't quite the best in that game. So things lead lead up to what was going on. Jimmy was getting hit, you know, and and when 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 that happens and you're trying to to, to throw the ball long, which now you got to hold the protection for the long, and you've been hit all game. Things can happen. Um, now it's is Jimmy uh, Aaron Rodgers? Or, I, I think his calmness and the kind of person that he is, he has the potential to win us a Super Bowl in, in his own way. You look at, we lost, one of the other two Super Bowls we lost in the history of the 49ers was to Joe Flacco. You know, and, and if you look at the two quarterbacks at Baltimore, um, won the Super Bowl with is Trent Dilfer and Joe Flacco. Uh, those guys better than Jimmy? I don't think so. Uh, so it's 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 a it's a matter of uh, you can't look at it as you know Joe Montana's loaded with weapons and that offense is unstoppable. We have a good offense, you know. We have the potential to put yards up like we did back in the in the eighties and nineties. But it might be a little bit different in how you distribute what the expectations are. Uh, you know, can Jimmy win us a game? Yeah. He, he went to New Orleans and went, you know, blow for blow with uh, with Drew Brees and won that game late for us. Uh, does he need to be more consistent? I think that's where the expectation is uh, is is up higher. Where we hope we can be a little bit more consistent. And uh, but I, there's no doubt in my mind. I think. All right. I, I appreciate so much, Jesse. You're taking the time. I, I we got some Michael. Can you come out or if, if you got your Camera on. Hey, uh, camera's not working, but the questions are in the chat. Chat, Jeff. I'm sorry. Apologies. All right, Can Jesse, you got some questions from from our viewers. If you would be patient enough oh. to take a couple, fire them at me, Michael. What do you got? Okay, so the first question, uh, Jesse, is from Fred Flunk in Dublin, and it uh, sort of resonates in regards to COVID today. Uh, the news. Um, do you think it's going to be a, an issue, Jesse? You know, obviously. The NFL has come out with rules today saying, you know, pretty much, you know, players need to get vaccinated. Do you think the majority of players will, will get vaccinated? I think the majority of the players will get vaccinated. Uh, now, I, I don't agree with the fact that they have to be vaccinated to play the game, you know, because you look at these young men, a lot of them don't have children yet, you know. Can you guarantee me that... Uh, uh, this vaccine will affect their ability to have a family where their kids might have issues. You know, uh, I, I think I would rather uh, give them the choice that they're, they're young with their immune system, if 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 that's their argument. Uh, but I think uh, for the for the team and for the fans to be able to come to the stadium, to try and get vaccinated, but. But if you have concerns young player uh, that wants to raise a future family, then I think we've got to think about this. That's a good point. Michael, got another one? Yes, sir. Uh, obviously, Jesse, you were a one-career man. That is very rare nowadays in numerous different sports, and I think that's something to be uh, upheld, and it's fantastic. Uh, that's a question from Barry in Edinburgh. Did you ever consider leaving San Fran at any point in your career, or did you sort of know 
from the get go that that you were always or you always wanted to be there? Well, there was, <laughs> you know, when I when I was the majority of my career, we couldn't become legal free agents, and that's why we fought so hard because the way the NFL used to be, folks can can tell you this. Uh, I can play three years of my contract and play it out, but for me to actually move to another team, the 49ers have to be compensated. You know, even though I played the full three years of my contract, played it out. So it wasn't, it was never a true free agency. Now, towards the end of my career, like my last, you know, four or five years, we won the right uh, to have free agency, and, but we gave up the cap. Uh, so it was tempting when I, 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 I re-upped with the 49ers. I extended my contract with the 49ers. And then my agent called me the next week and Arizona didn't know I'd be up with the 49ers, you know, because there was no social media. You know, they, the 49ers kept it secret until it was time for them to make it an announcement. And I saw the kind of money that the Arizona Cardinals were. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I felt like jumping up and throwing my couch in a swimming pool. Anyways, uh, but it, 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 it was good. To, to know that you're wanted, but uh, uh, the fact that I look back on it now that I finished with one team for that long, I think it's something special. Absolutely <laughs> something special. Your your career was something special. And and really, I, I, I just, it's amazing when you hit me with that again, and I, yeah, I don't, because I can't even visualize the draft with that many rounds, first of all, but 11th round draft pick and you have four Super Bowl rings. You voted one of the greatest players to ever play for the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, when you were coming out of Hawaii as an 11th round pick, did you have any inkling that it was gonna turn out to be what it, what it turned out to be? Uh, to be honest, I came, I came, I came to camp pissed. <laughs> because you were 11 round to- pick? Yeah, I came to camp a little disrespected, but you know, being a Polynesian, you kept it all in. Um, you don't, you don't come in the locker room and start showing an attitude. Those vets will, will give you a hard time. So I did everything uh, respectfully, uh, but on the field, they knew right off the bat that they got something. They knew right off the bat because, and I knew this because <clears throat> uh, the line that the 49ers had at the time was the line that just won a Super Bowl in 81, you know, 82, they were good. Uh, And then 83, I came in and and that line was under the impression that they were going to be together seven, eight, nine years and nobody was, you know. So when they probably saw they drafted uh, an offensive lineman from Hawaii in the 11th round, I don't think any of them lost any sleep (laughs) out of the draft. But, uh, but right off the bat, uh, and it was and it was so funny, uh, uh, Jeff, because you know I'm my 11th round draft choice. My signing bonus wasn't that big, and I, you know, I'm from Hawaii. And when it got down to the third preseason game, and I, I had some positive media write-ups that I I I, I heard about, and but you know, being an 11th round draft choice, you, you don't know, you have no idea. The coaches don't tell you how you're doing, so. I was walking into the locker room after one of the, the practices of two days with Bob McKittrick, who was my old line coach. 
And I just wanted to have an idea where I stood because at least I can go find an apartment, you know. If you're if you're at Levin's Round Draft Juice, you better find the cheapest apartment. <laughs> So that's how I approached him with it. Uh, this was before uh, the third preseason game when I said, Coach, you know, um, how, how am I doing? You know, is there a chance that I could make the team? Because, you know, I'm just kind of looking at some cheap apartments uh, uh, to rent if I make the team. And he says, I'm thinking of the two veterans that, that are backups and see who's going to not make the team because you're going to make the team. And I was I was totally numb walking in the locker room. I felt like jumping up and down. But you know, uh, the, the you know how we grew up in, in, in Hawaii and Samoa. We, we, we try not to show the excitement, and and I, I couldn't believe what I heard. You know, but I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell. I was anybody. gonna I, I was gonna ask you, did you call home that night and say, no, I, I'm gonna no, go. I didn't call home. And and you know what's funny uh, uh, is I was still. I was still tense going into the last cut. I was still tense. I, you know, you don't, you don't assume. We stayed at a hotel. We stayed at a hotel, and, and uh, after the last piece of the game, so my cousins came. There's a lot of people in Let's let's go for a drive in the city, maybe a tour of the city. So if you get cut, at least you, you got the tour. You of got the city. to see San Francisco. <laughs> so, so they picked me up, we went out, and we didn't get back to three in the morning, right? So I came back to the room and I slept. And then I woke up to some noise early in the morning of guys pulling their suitcases into the parking lot. You remember the head coach for Pittsburgh? He was our ninth round pick, a guy named Mike Malarkey. Yeah. He was a, he was, he was a ninth round pick, my year. He was a, two picks before me. And I saw him pulling his suitcase uh, to the car. And I'm, I'm in the balcony and I looked over and I said, Mike, where are you going? He says, oh, they, they called me yesterday at, you know, eight at night to say that, you know, in the morning in my playbook, I got released. I'm like, wow, I wasn't even around to answer the <laughs> So I'm, I'm, st I'm still having nerves. I, I, I go to the locker room. I slowly walked in there and I took a peek and my stuff was still there. My, my uniform was still there. And that's how you know? Well, I, I I don't assume anything, you know. So all of a sudden, uh, this uh, equipment manager we got that used to be with the Chargers that knew the local boys that played for the Chargers. So he tries to speak English, uh, pitching to me. And he says, you made the team, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and even at that, it wasn't until my O-line coach came downstairs and congratulated me. That I got on the pay phone. I got on the pay phone, coach. No way. Was in there. Was <laughs> in there to call my parents to, to let them know I made the team. Wow! How awesome was that moment? <laughs> it was good. It was now, good. I, did it? Did that? Did that uncertainty ever wear off? That that was there a point that you knew you were going to be there? Oh, was it? Yeah, there was a stretch of about, and it was a nice thing. There was a stretch of about. Six, seven years that I knew I made the team. Uh, and that's why I held up. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about at the end, when it, when you knew you only had a few more to play? How, to, how, how What was that like when, you, when you're sitting um, there? You know, I, I, uh, 
what happened is, you know, we, we lost a, a playoff game in Green Bay. It was after my, my 14th year, you know, and, and I knew I was going to go in for Hartford, you know, to uh, correct the, uh, the, the, the leaky aortic valve that I played with all those years that we kept the secret within the doctors and organization. And according to the doctors, that if once they operated on my heart would shrink down to normal size. And they performed a certain procedure that we didn't have to use an artificial valve, which would allow me to come back and play. So I was excited about that. What I didn't take into account is that what was the 49ers thing? You know, they have a hard time taking a chance out of a guy that comes off a torn ACL. You know, I, I didn't take into account that 49ers be willing to take a chance with a guy that had a torn aortic valve and had open heart surgery. You know, so after my 14th year, the 49ers released me. <laughs> after my surgery. And, you know, uh, my wife is still angry about that. <laughs> I told him, hey, man, I'm back at work for 49ers, you know? You know, we still get checks from them now, so what are you mad about? <laughs> so, so uh, they released, you know, because they cut my chest open and, and, uh, and repaired my heart. Uh, but the doctor said the heart shrunk down to normal size for the first time in years. And I thought I was done, you know, but the kid that took my place, uh, he, he kind of fractured his neck a little. And, and so, you know, when you, when you, when you uh, crack your chest bone open, it's a little bit of a different injury than if you're rehabbing a knee or an ankle, you know. Uh, so I thought I was done. I was out there playing golf. You know, it, was, it healed enough to where I could swing the club. And at least I could, you know, I'm in the middle of a golf round and I said, what are you doing? <laughs> playing golf? <laughs> Sometimes 36 holes a day just to forget the fact that I'm, you know, I'm not in camp, you know. And and he says, a 49ers call Chris Johnson for his neck. Um, what kind of shit? I said, well, honestly, um, delay negotiations. Negotiate with them for about seven days. Let me go to the YMCA. So I went to the YMCA, which is not crowded. I put a towel over my chest, and I could feel the wires that they used to hold my, I could. <laughs> Get out of I, here. I was, I was trying to bench, you know, and within that week, I went up to about 275. I was able to do it, you know, it was healed. It's just the fact that I haven't been exercising on it, you know, and and and, and there's wires that hold, hold my chest together. Because when I had my surgery, coach, it took six hours. The surgery was scheduled for three and a half hours. And, my, and uh, Lisa was worried about it. But they said they never, they said it, it took us over two hours to close him up. Because we usually have surgery on 75-year-olds, you know, that when they we cut their chest open, it just kind of falls into place. But I said, but your husband is in the peak of his, you know, of his, uh, you know, he's still in his 30s. He's been lifting weights on his, you know, most of his life. It was thick trying to get in there. Uh, so it took us a while to, to close them. So, uh, so I, you know, uh, I worked out. I told Lee, I'm in pretty good shape running-wise. You know, I ran a little bit. I said, so I reported it to the 49ers 
on a Wednesday, and I started in Denver the last preseason <laughs> on a Saturday. So no way. Uh, yeah. So you John Madden comes down on the field. I'm I'm warming up on the corner. He walks up and he says, "How are you doing?" I said, I'm "Doing good." He says, "How long have you been practicing?" I said, two days." <laughs> he said, "Have you been hit on your chest yet?" I said, "No, but I'll find out soon." You know. And he just shook his head. But but here's the thing. Yeah. What I do it now, I look at it now as crazy. But at the time, mentality of how we build ourselves at the time, I had a mentality of a warrior. I can survive anything out there. You know. Now there is just no way I attempt that stuff. I've been removed from the game. Yeah. But you know, back then it was it was it was a challenge for me. I needed to do it because a lot of kids in Samoa had rheumatic fever that caused that defect in my heart. That uh, I wanted them to know that they can have the surgery and and uh, and play in the NFL if they decide. Which is really a big, big message because we've been to Samoa together, and you know as well as I do that you don't go to the hospital in Samoa to do anything but die. Am I right or wrong? <laughs> That was a problem, you know, because when I got the rheumatic fever in Samoa, the symptoms what was uh, your joints swelled up, right? And uh, my mom and dad took me on the bus to a masseuse, <laughs> not, knowing, not knowing that my heart that was, was infected. It wasn't until I came to Hawaii that the symptoms came back that they, they found what was wrong. That's amazing. Amazing story by an amazing guy and really one of one of the best people I know in football. And, and I am very, very proud to call him my Uso, my brother. And, I, and uh, you know, I always appreciate how you uh, inspire me in the islands every time we go. And, and that's a special uh, uh, You know, I, I can motivate you. <laughs> know uh just see you get their attention and, and how they were inspired to come back the next day and practice hard it's a special gift and i always appreciate that about you folks well, i appreciate that jesse you saying that by the way uh, i got a message from the big island that they would like to have a, a polynesian bowl combine polynesian all-star game combine on the big island and i've got some contacts that for you that uh I think we can pull it off. So I, I'd love to be a part of that we can, with you. We can talk about that as, as we go because that's that's another exciting uh, thing that we'll do. All right, my man. So Jesse, Fafakai uh, Lava and Tele Lava, actually. Thank you very so, so very much. Thank you, folks. All right. Appreciate Aloha. It.